This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Pride of London podcast, part of the fan-sided podcast network. Please welcome your hosts, Gabe Henderson and Travis Tyler. All right, guys, welcome to our first proper episode of the Pride of London podcast. I'm Travis Tyler. I'm joined today with my co-host, Gabe Henderson, and also one of our more recent contributors, Travis Flock. Travis, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on, Travis. Gabe, appreciate it. It's nice to be in uh, sort of this beginning phase of the podcast for you guys. So appreciate having me on. I know I've got quite a bit of inner, you know, overlap with you guys interactions anybody who knows you know us three is kind of knows we've uh we've been on the other side of with our podcast and now moving on to this so looking forward to this quite a bit and uh, thanks again for having me on all right thank you for joining us but let's get right into it and talk about this lesser match um normally we don't come back from break very well and normally we don't travel away to lester very well and we don't do early kickoffs very well and none of that was true because we absolutely destroyed Leicester City. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just a really good match. So, uh, Gabe, what were your thoughts on the game? You know, one thing I'd also add to that list of just kind of bogey traits is we also don't do well when we debut new kits. I think everybody remembers how how we did in this one um, against Leicester last year. I think we... If I'm not mistaken, we debuted our new home kit in the FA Cup final. So um, this is, I've pointed this out a few times as a kit fanatic that this is the first time we've worn our anything other than our home kit this season. So just thought that was an interesting little nugget as well. You know, overall in the game, though, I, uh, I thought we played with an impressive pace. I thought we looked really good. You know, as you mentioned, we usually don't come back from international breaks well and kind of look sluggish. I think the only person that really stood out to me as looking sort of sluggish was Mason Mount, um, which isn't necessarily something to worry about. He's going to have one of those games every so often, but he's probably the one player in this team where I just don't worry about him at all when he doesn't play well. So, no, overall, I thought we were really impressive. And even though Leicester's a mid-table side technically right now, um, they're still... They need to be respected because they have a lot of good players and Brendan Rodgers is a really good manager. And I thought we just handled that really well yesterday. What about you, Travis? What did you see about this one that you liked, didn't like? Yeah, so I kind of had to watch like mostly bits and pieces of the second half due to, you know, I was getting ready to leave and go out for the day. But um, from the first half, what I was really impressed with is it felt like from the very beginning, really, I mean, I pretty much turned the TV on at the moment. It was like Joel hitting the crossbar and it just never really let up from there. Um, and what I was most impressed with it is it kind of felt like to me that it, it seemed like no matter what way or there's set piece or open play, whatever it might be, whoever it might be that we were just getting a lot of shot attempts and it just felt like a goal was always going to happen in this team and not just from like one or two suspects, you know, it felt like everybody had the potential to get involved. And I think, one thing that really stood out to me in, in early on, and, and even the announcer picked up on this, and it was kind of, you know, kind of made me smile that they picked up on that, is that it was almost like Chelsea were playing the old WM formation from basically, what, 1950s, 1960s? 
it's kind of what we were doing with more or less like almost five straight attackers. And even the commentators were focusing on that a bit and kind of made comments where is, is you know, are these actually uh, wing backs? They're, they're playing more like forwards right now. And uh, I think tactically that was a really, you know, good advantage that we're now starting to see borne out, not just in this Leicester game, but across the multiple games now where we've seen the line has really begun, begun to blur as far as Reese James and Chilwell still being, you know, quote unquote wingbacks, you know, they they don't really play like this anymore. They're still involved in defensive phase, but in the offensive phase, they're playing so high up in the way they're being used sometimes where they're almost tucking in behind center mids. I think it's starting to be obvious that they're not being used in these traditional wingback roles. And then I think Travis, you've pointed this out as well, but I, I noticed it yesterday too, that in, de- in like defensively, we aren't really seeing this set shape anymore. It's almost like we're beginning to morph around and, uh, sort of like be a chameleon in the in the sense that whatever formation we're running, if you want to look at it that way, is always changing. And I think that tactically, it's only going to make this team better the longer that we do this because I don't really trust anybody else other than Tomas Tuchel to you know run these sorts of tactics and what he's doing with the team. So I thought offensively, just all over the pitch, phenomenal yesterday. And I think that overall, even our substitutes, you know, uh, Pulisic comes on and gets the goal. And then Hakeem Ziyech came on and showed some of the best, you know, I think overall play in the time that he did have yesterday as a sub that he's probably shown all season and not counting preseason. I'm not going to count preseason matches, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think overall, this is all the right things you wanted to see yesterday and, you know, really good performance aside from the three nil scoreline. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you said all of that because that was what I was thinking. We were <clears throat> extremely fluid with our positions yesterday to the point where I almost said we were playing 4-3-3 at one point but then you know within two minutes it was back to three at the back um at times it would be two up top sometimes it would be all three up top and it was just constant movement and changing and I don't know how much of that was Lester tried to match our formation which is rarely a good idea against three at the back it seems like anytime someone tries to match three at the back with three at the back it goes terribly, but yeah, I mean, we had everyone moving in unison. They were moving so fluidly with each other. You know, the formation kept changing and it really made me start to think, you know, we talk about maybe we'll switch to four at the back in the future, like four, two, three, one or four, four, two. And like, honestly, it doesn't really matter because it's all, it doesn't really matter which players we have because it's going to change up so often anyway. I mean, there's a really good video on um, Football Made Simple about Nagelmann's Bayern Munich side, and they're doing a lot of the same things we're doing, but they're doing it from a quote-unquote 4-2-3-1, whereas we're doing it from a 3-4-3. But it all ends up looking the same just because of how the players are moving. So I think that's going to bode really well as we get more in sync with one another and start creating more and more chances. But you know, to to me, Leicester City almost looks like a side that has, like, I mean, it looks like Brendan Rodgers' head is turned, and we'll get into that a little bit with our preview for United here. But first up, we have Juventus. So, Travis, what are you thinking for this Juventus match? It looks like it's going to be the decider between first and second for our Champions League group. Yeah, so correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the this is a home leg against Juventus, right? Okay, so... With it being in you know in the return uh, back to Stanford Bridge, I think the biggest thing for us is going to be 
you know, that we are up and running, but we saw the last time we played, we played Juventus that it was just this really sterile match with little to no, you know, attacking play going on. I actually didn't get to watch much of the first match, but from what I talked to people, everybody was like, yeah, it was one of the worst performances they had seen this season easily, but maybe under Tuchel just in general. So I think what I'm going to be interested to see is like, we know this Juventus team is not the fastest. We know that they're not, you know, the youngest team. They have a manager who's been around a long time. Uh, I just, I know they had a good result this weekend. They, they overcame Lazio, got their points there. But look, this Juventus team is not very good. I think the first time we played them that they caught us, it was right time, right place for them and wrong time, wrong place for us. So the, the fortunes have really, for Juventus, as far as I understand, they're still kind of, you know, not where they want to be, not really top of the table or near top of the table in Syria. They've improved, but look, our improvement since we first played them has been a lot better. So I expect to see us in this match against Juventus. I expect a lot more of the same, like what we saw against Leicester. I think we're going to come out in the match. We're going to go out there and really take the, you know, take the impetus to them um, and show a lot of attacking play throughout. And I think that you know the reason why we have to do this is because if we just want to sit back and be slow and really absorb pressure, I think that's going to feed too much into how Juventus wants to play, especially given how Allegri has predominantly played in a fashion that's maybe what some might argue is a bit more counterattacking than other styles of management for top clubs. So I think that's what we're going to have to do, and we're going to have to really use the fluidity of our positions that we've seen recently and our pace and our youth to exploit sort of the lack thereof from Juventus. What are you thinking about Juventus here, Gabe? You know, I think we'll go out with something different than we did in the first game. Um, If I'm not mistaken, the front three in the first game against Juventus was Ziyech, Lukaku, and Havertz. Um, I think Havertz will be the only one of those three who will potentially start. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Lukaku returning to training today um, and how that's going to make him probable for the games in the upcoming week. But I really, I don't think he starts against Juventus. I think we take a different approach. Um, I think the presence of Mason Mount will really help. You know, um, I feel bad because in a recent article, I said that Vidra's goal for Burnley that he scored against us was the first instance of our defense falling asleep this season. But it just dawned on me that Chiesa's goal for uh, Juventus in the first game was really us falling asleep. So I think like Travis just said, um, it was a game where we played sluggish and Juventus only real chance was 11 seconds after the halftime break. So uh, we were still in the dressing room. And I, like he said, I, I don't think they're a great team. They were at home and there still wasn't much to separate them. I think Tuchel goes out with a different approach. I think we see more of the fluidity and pace that we saw in the game against Leicester the other day. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Timo Werner starting, Mason Mount, Kai Havertz. Um, I just think they bring a little something different and you really want to stretch that Juventus back line because everyone knows they have a combined age of like 150. Um, or and I, I know they're all great and they, but they can't do it forever. So I think we took the wrong approach last time in the fact that we brought out Lukaku and Havertz on 
the right and then Ziyech on the left. I just don't think it worked. And I think we'll learn from that and we'll open the game up a little more. Yeah, I think for sure we're in a different place than we were when we played Juventus the first time. Uh, They kind of are too, but I think we're already more mature than we were just given the time we've been playing this season. We're a little more into things. Uh, And I definitely think that fluidity is going to be our most dangerous weapon. I mean, I I watch a fair bit of Serie A and – it's a very tactical league, but you don't see the kind of movement that we've been putting up lately in Syria. So I think that's going to be very hard for them to deal with unless they just completely show up, which, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but I think it'll be very tricky for Juventus, but, you know, shifting gears back to Manchester United, uh, they are finally without Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, which, is slightly shocking given how long they stuck with them as it is. So how is that going to affect our game with them coming up, given it's their next Premier League game? They'll have someone as interim by then, I assume. So what are we looking at for this one here, Gabe? Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think they already named Carrick as the interim, but I, I don't know. They probably have like five interim managers on their staff right now from all the reports. Um I don't really think we know what to expect. Uh, that's, I guess, midweek against Villarreal will tell us a little bit about what they have planned. Um, it's going to be interesting, though. I expect us to come out attacking um, just really aggressive because Tuchel is, A, more tactically, more tactically adept than whoever is going to be in their dugout. Um and B, they're going to be without Harry Maguire through suspension. I'm pretty sure Rafael Varane's still going to be injured. So we're going to be facing a backup center back pairing of I don't even know who. Um, so I think we go out and really attack. And I think that'll be the f- perfect game to bring Lukaku back into the starting 11 if he's ready and really just feast on that. Um, I say inexperienced back line, but they're backup center halves are pretty experienced in the sense that they've played a lot for them at the top level. They just haven't always played together. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how we approach that, but I think we will really take the game to them. What about you, Travis? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the news with Ole is going to become, make us a really difficult situation because if you look at this United team, there's everything that's there to be, you know, competing for a title. And I think that what I'm going to be most interested to see is now that he's gone, how do players like Donnie Van de Beek and Jaden Sancho, how do they start getting utilized? You know, because, you know, maybe this is a kind of memory bias for me, but when, when Van de Beek was playing for Ajax in in Netherlands, you know, you don't remember him ever being a player that I looked at and thought, wow, this guy is good enough to maybe get a few bench minutes here and there in the Premier League, you know, a lot, a lot of good clubs were after Van de Beek. And it seems that from what I understand, United just went after him and signed him because he was available and why not? Well, it's, it's, you know, there, so my, my point here is there's a lot of talent on United's team that I think with the right instructions, with the right setup, with the right management, this could be a much different team. And the reason why I think Ollie was the perfect person to remain in the job from a, you know, rival perspective is because a lot of what I think when you watch his teams and you talk to United fans and one thing that they always will point out is, you know, it's been how many ever years that the guy that, you know, Ole has been there managing, 
but there's no distinctive style. There's no distinctive philosophy that's on the field with how players are used and the way that buildups are, are made and created and how defensively blah, 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 just basically all around. It's just this overall free kind of almost freestyle ball is a lot of what he did. And I think that while that benefits some players, I think Paul Pogba truthfully has been one of the better ones when he's, when he's fit, he's had a lot of injuries um, more recently, but you know, I think he's done well. And it's, it's overall benefited some, but I think overall it hurts a lot. And I think that's what we're going to run into is the, the issue of that, right? Is now that we're going to be facing United that have a much more tactically adept manager. And I don't know how much more tactically adept that Carrick might be, but maybe they have an interim in uh, before the weekend. What I've read is they've appointed Michael Carrick and now they have started the interim manager search. So I think it's going to be a, a tough road for them for a little bit, but even if Carrot comes in there and organizes them and have them playing in a very specific set system, I still fear them more than I would have had they had Ollie. And I think that now that they have Ollie out the door, some of those other players that people have long questioned, why are they not getting minutes might now be getting the minutes and we might be seeing that talent. And that's what I worry about is this buried talent that was there that wasn't getting minutes. It's probably creating to some extent, some type of unrest within the, within the squad, some type of friction. And because of that, that's all gone now. So it's kind of like a clean slate. So I, I think this is the worst time that we could have faced United. All of those players are going to be looking to make a huge statement now. And we're going to catch them right at the beginning of that. So I think it's going to be a difficult match. And because of that, I actually don't know if we will come out and, and be just overtly attacking start to finish. I think we might actually wait if Tuchel, I think knowing him, he might actually want to go out there and feel out what, Carrick is going to try to do before he starts to actually show his full hand. And I think the reason why, you know, for maybe a, a gamesmanship, why that could be a good path to go down for Tuchel is because if you make Carrick feel like he had the right game plan in the first half and all you're really doing was feeling him out, maybe he makes changes that are bet that are going to be focused on winning the match. And then that's when you come into the second half and really show your hand and which it might be completely different than what you showed in the first half. And assuming that we don't concede in the first half, I think that could be a really useful game plan for us. So I think it's going to be interesting, you know, do we come out and try to get the lead immediately and sit back or do we try to just let this play out a little bit and then show our full hand and put the chips on the table and go for the win? I, I don't know. I think I think, you know, just knowing what I've seen from Tuchel and some of uh, some of that, how we've approached that some of the bigger clubs, I think that we'll probably see a bit of the latter, but again, this is just the wrong time to face United. I, I think that we all collectively know that the new manager bounce to me is not the issue. To me, the issue is the new manager is going to give the, the players that we all think have, you know, high, high talent levels. He's going to be getting them chances now. And I just think that morale boost, not even the manager himself, just the fact that Ollie is no longer there is going to boost morale within that squad. And, hey, you know, you got to realize from United's perspective, if they beat us next week, yeah, they're, they're, they're actually a lot closer to their objectives in terms of top four than they would, you know, appear to be right now. So I think there's a lot to play for. We're playing at the wrong time. And I think this is just the, uh, the inside joke that all of us have feared would actually become the reality. And, and now that it has, so I'll leave it there. Yeah. So I'll close this out by agreeing to disagree a little bit with that. Um, if there was any kind of game that Shulshar was really good at, it was usually these big ones. He usually would get United pretty well up for games like this. So with him gone, I kind of wonder if they'll be able to have that same 
motivation or whatever, whatever they're able to pull out when they come up against teams like Chelsea. But I do also agree Tuchel is probably going to be a little more cautious because we don't really have anything to plan on now. I mean, we have, we have no idea what changes they'll make uh, if they make any changes at all. So I think it is smart to kind of spend a few minutes feeling them out before we decide to go one way or the other. Uh, but you know, if you look at results this weekend from all the new managers, you know, the new manager bouts is pretty real. I mean, Eddie Howe wasn't even at Newcastle, I believe, because he had COVID, but you know, Newcastle looked good. Uh, Norwich won again. Uh, so yeah, there's definitely something to the idea of a new manager bounce, but we'll just have to wait and see. I think that Villarreal game is going to be a really interesting one to keep an eye on, not just because of United's recent history with Villarreal, but you know, how do they approach that kind of game right now with, you know, Chelsea coming on the weekend, they kind of need to beat Villarreal to stay around in the Champions League. So they have a lot of balls to juggle, but Gabe, we have some listener questions. Would you want to go ahead and send those out to us? Yeah, no, sure. Um, so the first one um, we have is per the stats we defend on our we depend on our defenders to score. Yes, Romelu Lukaku was injured, but before that as well, the link up was missing. As a Premier League contender, how do we sort this out ASAP? So I'll kind of open the floor. Whoever wants to take that. Yeah. So for me. Our formation is kind of like a magician's trick, you know, like a magician will be doing something over on their left hand, but what they're really doing is working the trick on their right hand. And that's basically what we do. We have our attackers almost distracting everyone up top. And then all of a sudden the defender comes rushing in to score because no one's looking at that defender. And we saw this with Antonio Conte too, you know, I lost count of the amount of times Marco Salonzo would just be completely wide open because no one was looking for him. And all of a sudden we had the ball in a dangerous area just because no one was trying to mark him because they weren't thinking to mark him. And it's very similar now with Ben Chilwell and Reese James, um, even, you know, in Golo Conte yesterday, the, the fact that he was able to get the space he could, even if it was an amazing finish, is pretty crazy. So that's mo- that's a lot of what's going on is, you know, we're using guys like Kai Havertz and Romelu Lukaku to distract and create chances for others. Now, eventually that wasn't sustainable for Conte anymore. People started to pay attention to what Alonzo was doing and started marking him. And we weren't able to, you know, make it work with our attackers. I think the difference now is this time we probably will. You know, it, if Lukaku comes back, he can score if he gets the ball enough. So I don't think we're nearly as, I don't want to say one note, but I think we have more tricks up our sleeve now. And I mean, even look at like Hakeem Ziyech coming on yesterday, like he did really well. And, you know, he was fresh by that point. Lesher was, you know, exhausted physically and mentally. So if we're able to bring on attackers like that, after, you know, getting our defenders to do the work, I think the attackers will follow suit and, you know, put some goals in themselves. 
I, I think, you know, answering the question, how do we solve this ASAP, this trend of defenders being more of our attacking outlets? I think this kind of harps back um, to what, you know, we were mentioning earlier with uh, the Lester review itself and how the positional fluidity is really was on display yesterday against the Foxes. So I think uh, kind of a cop-out answer here is how do we fix it? Uh, Our defenders aren't really being utilized as pure defenders in many ways. Now, there are the stats like Antonio Rudiger, you know, the left center back who has more shot-creating and goal-creating actions uh, per 90 than uh, some of our attackers do. But So that one, you know, I can give you some give you some props there um, from that question because that is a little bit concerning, but I can't say that I'm concerned right now. If Chilwell and Reese James are being tasked with providing a lot of this, uh, you know, decisive final third or key pass sort of creation because they're being used so high up the field in ways that are more winger, you know, you know, wide midfielders, sometimes even inverting over and moving more centrally. Um, off of the off the flank. So, you know, how do we solve it? I guess if if you're still at the point where you think that this is, you know, Chilwell and James can't be the those guys, they can't be those guys, pal. Um, if you're still there, then then I think that you know, to answer your question, how do we get rid of? How do we solve it? I would say start using Kovacic more in the final third. Uh, he's doing really really well this year in that regard. He's improved a lot there. And using him in the final third is in his ability to press and also beat the press. I think could be really useful. Um, and I think you, you just have to have, you're going to have to have Mason Mount or Kai Havertz than one or the other, preferably Mount. Um, because Mount is that guy that creates a, so many different passing passes that lead to another pass that lead to a shot. He really is sort of that hockey assister kind of guy for the team. And I think that's why he's often criticized for certain things is because what he does do is not really directly showing up in a, in a goal involvement itself, but he does so many things on and off the ball that then lead to better opportunities for others. So I think you'd have to have him in almost every configuration if you're really trying to take the impetus away from Chilwell and Reese James to be the people creating the chance for us. I think you'd have to have Kovacic around. You need that ability to dribble and win, win you know, go right through win balls beat the press and quick, quickly transition if that's how you're going to try to play more through the middle and then out to the flanks and the attackers. Um, and I think that, you know, up top, you're going to have to have just a lot more clinical play, right? Because we, we can create these chances, but if we don't have somebody to, you know, finish them off, it's not going to matter for much. And I think that goes along with why I say it's got to be, you know, Mount and or, or Hoverts. And if it's not Hoverts, I think it'd be Lukaku up there playing alongside with Mount. So that's what I would do. I think we also have to try to use Lukaku more as how we used to use Diego Costa, which is, we know, we can play it into Costa. He's going to hold the ball up. He's going to be that physical presence that then allows for the off-ball runs from the wings or out wide and then shipping it down the channels, which allows for us to have other people then move into the box and crash. It brings that cut back. It brings a cross option. It brings a square. It brings where you can drop the pass and then quickly cross it back in you know, into the box. So I think we have to play a little bit differently in terms of our buildup and stop trying to play basically around Lukaku um, and more play through him on the initial phases of that attacking buildup, right? It, it was devastating in the past with some of our strikers. And I know it's not the same system and it's not the same strikers, but I feel that given what I'm seeing from the squad, that's that's what we need to do with Lukaku. And, 
I mean, we, I don't want to necessarily use him just as this target man that we just, we only get him involved whenever we're in the final third. I think that we need to start trying to use utilizing his uh, ability to just have this incredibly, you know, gifted physical holdup play. And I don't know if anybody knows this, but Lukaku is really good at holdup play because what Antonio Conte did when he went to enter is he recognized that was that Lukaku was not good trying to receive the pass when there's a defender immediately on his back pushing against him. So he just again and again and again and again and again and again, every day after practice, he lined up uh, Renocia, um, who was the largest center back basically the inner had available, and would just spend hours every day working on this. Nothing but, you know, playing the ball to Lukaku with this really large center back on him. And his task was to hold up, hold up play or to hold it up and then on the turn beat him. So they did this again and again and again and again and again. And we haven't, to me, I haven't really seen Lukaku being being utilized in the way that best takes that skill that Conte spent two years almost single-handedly crafting in that player, um, among other things. But that's where I, you know, I think that's a pretty long-winded answer, but that's kind of where I would be at on this is the way we're using Lukaku needs to be tweaked a little bit and we need to then, you know, maybe focus on getting Mount as that chief guy, maybe alongside Hobbards. That's, that's what I would do. But again, I'll go to you, Gabe. You probably have a, you probably, I, I think I can stop there and give a good transition point for you. Yeah. You know, my answer is actually going to be like three or four fold um, just like yours. You know, first thing, um, as you mentioned, I'm just so thankful for Antonio Conte for so many reasons. Um, I know, I know that's going to be kind of controversial to say now that he's the Spurs manager, but I, I love Antonio Conte. Um, you know, one interesting point that I thought thought that you made there is how we are kind of playing with Lukaku. And I think my biggest concern in that regard is how we've utilized Havertz as the center forward when he and Warner have been out. Um, you know, everyone wants to talk about how Kai Havertz isn't scoring the goals. You know, he didn't get on the score sheet against Norwich and in a 7-0 beatdown, that's not something you want from your striker. But I think that's kind of how we play through him. You know, everyone else is playing really well with Kai Havertz. So, you know, just to use a cliche phrase, he's doing, quote unquote, all the dirty work. Um, I, I think he's actually played really well up top. He's not as involved as everyone wants him to be. Um, and I think we need to flip the script once we get Romelu Lukaku back. And like you said, um, play all of that with him. Um, and pl- utilize him better to his skill set. And then I think before answering this question, I also want to make clear, we, I'm pretty sure we're all going to be in agreement on this. At this point, Ben Chilwell and Reese James are not defenders. We don't, and this goes back to the point that you made earlier, Travis, about the WM formation that they mentioned. They were playing as forwards yesterday. Most often they play as forwards now. So while they, technically are in a um, defensive role. Um, You can talk to Antonio Conte and he'll tell you that they're midfielders, but I don't think we can call them defenders anymore. So simply put, how do we sort out this problem? I don't think it's a problem that needs sorting. Um, You know, it's like you guys said, we, we just utilize space so well. And we have guys like Antonio Rudiger who will run into that space and get on the ball more often than not. You know, we've seen um, Rudiger score this season. We've seen Christensen score this season. Silva, um, our center, and even Chalaba, 
you know, and we're seeing our defenders just get that space. And like um, you guys mentioned earlier with Conte yesterday, when players get that space, it doesn't matter if it, if you're a defender or a center forward, utilize it and make the most of it. So I think, um, yeah, I don't really see it as a problem, especially now that we've got guys like Romelu Lukaku who are 20 goal a season players. You know, that's one reason why it quote unquote failed um, under Frank Lampard uh, and almost toward almost with Thomas Tuchel last season. But even then we didn't, we didn't fail in Lampard's first season. We still secured top four in last season with Tuchel. We secured top four, albeit with the help of some premier league rivals. And we obviously won the champions league. So I think the presence of a 20 goal striker can really elevate this team to where spreading the ball out and sharing the goals is not a problem in this team anymore. Um, so I just want to go back to you guys, I guess, and see if you guys had any more thoughts on this quote unquote problem with our defenders scoring. I just, I mean, I don't really know if it's like I said, I'll, I'll kind of stick to the, it's a problem for defender scoring. If it's like our center backs creating most of it, but I think you're spot on with that, that, we have to now stop looking at, you know, wing, quote unquote, wing back as a defensive position and actually just look at them for what they're doing on and off the ball. And I think that when you start to do that the past few weeks, you know, gave your spot on, these are no longer defenders and we kind of have to stop classifying them and, and going through that lens for, for analysis whenever they're involved. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's a good point. Um, and I, I know at this point you guys are probably sick of talking about defenders, but our next question is, do you guys think Antonio Rudiger will renew his contract next season? So I'll, I'll open the floor to Travis Tyler first. No, he's not going to renew. So, I mean, think about where Rudiger is right now. He's you know, 28, almost 29, correct? That's how old he is. Yeah. So he's got one more big move left in his career. Is it easier to get that big move if you have a transfer fee involved with Chelsea or if you're a free agent and allowed to pick wherever you want to go? And I mean, like, let's think about this a year ago. A year ago, we were trying to sell Rudiger and we couldn't find anyone that would take him. So you know, we got to remember that he's not that far removed from that event. So in his mind, if he's going to get the move anywhere, he's going to have to do it as a free agent. We're not going to give him the move. And, you know, what? Well, then you got to start asking, well, why were we trying to sell him a year ago? It's because he wasn't very good a year ago. You know, playing at three of the back has really brought something out of him that we weren't able to see for a long time before. You know, people can argue about how good he was with, Maurizio Sarri or with Frank Lampard, but the last time he was anywhere close to as good with as he is with Tuchel was Antonio Conte. So, you know, if he's a three at the back kind of player, that's fine, but we need to acknowledge that and we need to, you know, be realistic about where he is in this situation. And on top of all that, it, it's extremely unusual to me to see Chelsea get see any kind of player get this close to the end of their deal. Uh, you know, I, I half expected him to be sold over the summer because of that. 
but you know he was playing so well that we couldn't really get rid of him and maybe we thought we could convince him well you know he still hasn't signed uh, Christensen still hasn't signed either but you know if I look at those two there's definitely more for Rudiger pointing towards he would rather leave as a free agent and go back or go to Germany and play for Bayern Munich or you know maybe get a move to Real Madrid or somewhere than you know stay at Chelsea and you know maybe in the future something goes wrong with Tuchel we get a new manager it's four at the back again and suddenly Rudiger isn't the guy we need but and and then you go into the whole wage argument um and this was my argument against getting Holland all summer was if you play one player a really high wage compared to what everyone else is already making those guys that you already have are going to ask for more when they get contract extensions. Transfers coming in are going to ask for more. And all of a sudden, you're going to look a lot like Manchester United do, like Arsenal do, or even worse, like Barcelona do. Like, you can't just offer an unlimited amount to a player and say, well, they they earned it because of how well they play. That's not how it's going to work because it's going to pull everyone else up along with it. So... I'm okay with Chelsea not offering him whatever he allegedly wants. And I get Rudiger's side of it of if he's going to move, he's only going to do it as a free agent. So in my mind, he's gone. I don't think there's going to be any change to that unless he accepts a much lower offer from us. But I think that would have happened if it was going to happen. Yeah, I, you know, I got to say I'm in the side of the, camp now that thinks Rudiger will not be renewing, which sucks. You know, I, I'm in the, I'm trying right now to get like a Rudiger kit uh, before he goes. So, uh, it, you know, I think that what, look, it, it gets down to this. We've had all these chances to re-sign him. I don't think the club were going to re-sign him when Lampard was the manager. I think it was either, you know, we'll let him wind down and sell or we'll sell him out. But the point that you were making, Travis, that the fact of the matter is that look, at Antonio Rudiger when he's been in good form for Chelsea and when he's not been in good form for Chelsea, it's unironically almost directly coincides when we are playing or aren't playing three at the back. And if you go back to the career of Antonio Rudiger prior to Chelsea, he was at Roma playing in predominantly three at the back formations. He come, he was recruited by Antonio Conte to come to Chelsea to play three at the back. And I don't know if you know many remember this, but Antonio Rudiger was brought in in the 2017 summer of the 2017-2018 season. But during Conte's first summer in charge in 2016-2017, it was highly reported that Chelsea were going for Antonio Rudiger and were trying to bring him in that summer. But then Rudiger suffered an ACL injury while he was at Roma during the summer of 2016, and that basically delayed our transfer plans an entire 12 months to make that move happen. So I think this has always been a long-term view. Let's get this guy in. He's somebody that can play three at the back. And he's always, he's always done well with that, right? He was brought in to play that system. So looking at this in a larger context, and Travis, I almost feel like this had, it was just brought up on our discussion uh, of unbalanced blue pot. And I, I could be wrong or mistaken where I got this from, but so if you look at the larger context of this, you know, Silva's 37 years old. I know he's good, but, you know, there, there's got to be a long-term question of how long he can do this as well as how long is he going to continually do this? And is he, is, is he going to accept, accept every season progressively smaller roles? I don't know. But what I do know is he's 37. I know Azpilicueta is getting up there. We're at best going to be offering one-year deals to Azpilicueta and, and Thiago Silva. 
Rudiger could walk. AC has not re-signed. You know, so that leaves us with Trevor Shalabov. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. So uh, I think what's going to be interesting is if we do let Rudiger go, perhaps this is, in the end, the start of a process where we transition away from three at the back and start to get rid of such a center-back heavy roster um, and start moving to a roster that's a little bit thinner on center-back that then we get back to a back four. I don't, as, as my own you know personal opinion, I don't really care if we play back four or back three. I think if you look at just recent trends from 2015-2016 season until now, there's only been one trophy that we've had in that entire duration that was not one playing a three at the back. And that was with Mauricio Sarri winning the Europa League. So I have to say it's not just two goals, three at the back is the best, blah, blah, blah. To me, the fact of the matter is we don't really win trophies over the past six seasons or going on seven seasons now without playing three at the back. Okay, there's one there's one aberration there. There's one exception to the rule like there always is, which – and. Again, I think that's circumstances dictated that we were in a competition we should win. Um, we had the best squad by quite a margin, and Rizzo Sari did the job. So credit to them for that, but that is still an exception to the rule right now. So I would say stick to three at the back, but if we're going to see Rudiger and potentially one or two or maybe even four other of those center backs leave, then the conversation may need to rest more around how do we switch to a back four with this team and only bring in one or two center backs instead of keeping with a back three, losing potentially all four of these guys. And then we spend 300 million next summer on center backs, trying to resolve an issue that we entirely created ourselves. And we sat around way too long. And, you know, I I understand it would have been very bad optics and probably not set well with the fan base. But if we knew, if we down deep had this inkling uh, in the boardroom, you know, we can kind of pretend that we have that job for a minute if I had an inkling that, Hey, I don't think Rudiger is going to resign because of a, what he wants and B the other suitors are out there and C he's in an electric form. One of the best center backs right now in the world. Uh, and I think a reason why I would also say what I just said is uh, he is German and Bayern Munich could sign him on a free and they really do need center backs right now. So if I'm, if I'm Rudy and I can get a huge payday to go back home, I probably would consider that overstaying at Chelsea as well, because I know I'm going to go to Bayern Munich. I know I'm going to win trophies. I'm going to get paid more money to do it. And it's where I'm from. So that's probably what I would do too. Um, But within the larger context of this is if I'm in that boardroom and I know that Rudiger is maybe might not renew, it looks maybe uh, more likely than not that he's just going to, he's going to leave. I probably would have actively been aggressive or I would have aggressively been trying to move that asset on this summer and take the profit while I can and not get into this situation where we have, you know, all this speculation, will he, won't he, all these articles that are being written about it. We have fan interaction nonstop on the, on, on Twitter talking about Rudiger. I just feel that if we could have cashed in on that asset, knowing that he's not going to resign, we should have done that. Not just because it brings more money in and it, 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 it speeds up the transition process, but it gets rid of this constant, you know, questioning what's going to happen with him, what's not going to happen with him. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think he's going to resign. I think he's going to leave and I think he's going to go to Bayern Munich. That's what I'm, that's what my prediction is. Um, but yeah, who knows? I think maybe it's a tradition, a, a transitional point for the team. If we do let Rudiger go, maybe it does signal uh, long-term the end of three at the back. You know, my gut feeling, I, I share the same thoughts as you guys. I think Rudiger will end up leaving for the exact reasons that you guys lined out. Um, 
I think it's also important to talk about the three at the back and Travis, you just brought up a great point, how most of our trophies that we've won over the past few years has been a three at the back. And this was a really interesting point. I I don't remember who brought it up, but I think it was a commentator who said last year at the beginning of Tuchel's reign, Chelsea is designed to play three at the back. You know, I know we flushed out a lot of Antonio Conte's dead wood um, when, when Lampard was here. But we still have a three at the back identity. And I think that's how we will carry on going forward. I think it's how we should carry on going forward. You know, as um, as site experts, Travis and I talk ad nauseum. Um, and I know this is something that we've talked about a lot. Antonio Rudiger is fantastic. He's been excellent since Thomas Tuchel took over. There's no denying that. One of the best center backs in the world. And that's why he's now getting interest from the Bayern Munichs and the Real Madrids of the world. Um, I don't think he's the only person on earth that can play left center back for Chelsea. You know, I'm admittedly a huge Jules Koundé fan. I would love to bring him in. I would have loved to bring to have brought him in last summer. We've got guys like Chalaba who've shown um, the skill set going forward. You know, he's played uh, defensive midfield at Lorient last season and throughout his youth career. Um, as Piliqueta, if need be, could be an emergency left center back. You know, we've got all of these options within our team. And I think Christensen can play along the back line too, anywhere. Um, so, you know, it's Rudiger isn't irreplaceable. He's he'd be really nice to resign. He isn't irreplaceable though. And I like to imagine every morning out at the bridge before they start training, Marina Grenovskaya and Antonia Rudiger standing at each end of the pitch in kind of a wild west standoff. Like who's gonna budge first? And you know, I think you've got two really strong personalities there. Um, and I don't think Either is willing to give up on their stance. So that's why I don't think he'll resign. Um, I think Grenovskaya has the same reservations as us in the fact that she doesn't want to overpay players to break the wage structure. And I think Rudiger wants more money because, frankly, that's what he deserves. You know, um, if I was getting offers, as Travis just said, if I was getting offers from the Bayern Munichs of the world. And I, I think someone reported PSG was talking to him. Um, I would love to do that. You know, I, I would love to go get paid a lot more to live in a city like Paris or Munich or Madrid, you know, um, not to, not to say anything against London. London's probably my favorite city in the world. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I would do if I was Rudiger, you know, cause Chelsea's not going to fork over all of that money. Um, I just think it'll be intriguing to see how he would fare in those teams, given the fact that they, most of them play four at the back, you know, I know, um, Travis Tyler mentioned earlier how Nagelsmann plays the four, two, three, one, but it plays like our formation. So I think he'd do well there, but I really don't think he would fare very well in a four at the back in say Spain, um, so I think it'll be interesting. I don't think he resigns. I think Christensen will be the one to resign. And then I think we keep Silva for another year. And I think as signs up for as long as, as long as he wants. And I think he's earned that right. Um, if we can resign Christensen, Christensen's the really big one for me. I think we have a solid foundation at the back 
of Malang Sar, who is another guy who could play left center back if need be. You know, he's not got the experience that Rudiger has or anything, but he's still a very capable young defender. Um, Trevor Chalaba and Andreas Christensen. So, um, and then I think if Rudiger leaves, we'll definitely bring in a high profile center back. I know Pau Torres has been brought up as well. And I know Travis Tyler absolutely loves the prospect of a left footed left center back. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's where I stand with it. Um, I don't think he resigns. And then, so moving on to another question, we have: um, Will Callum Hudson Odoi help the wingers stretch the field against Juventus, who seem to be the one team who has exploited Chelsea's one big weakness this season? If he plays, I'm not sure if he will or not just because of how much we've been rotating our front three but I mean that depends on you know if Lukaku's fit if Timo Werner's fit if Pulisic's ready to start a game you know if Pulisic's ready to start I could see him starting over Hudson Odoi I know that'll upset some people but the only player that can really play a role similar to Hudson Odoi is probably Pulisic because those two those two are are only quote unquote wingers whereas everyone else is more like a midfielder you know mason mount's not really a winger as much as he is a midfielder so yeah i think if he does start i think he'd be pretty good against them i think juventus are gonna or have historically under allegri defended really compactly so you know if you have wingers you're gonna stretch them out whether they like it or not you're going to be able to create those switches of plays, those overloads. And Hudson Odoi is great at that, but it really just depends on whether he starts or not. Yeah, I with Hudson Odoi, I don't know if he's going to be starting immediately. That's kind of where I'm at. I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, obviously I think this season he has shown more glimpses than before, but – I still think when I look, you know, what you saw yesterday with Ziyech looked really good yesterday. Pulisic got on the score sheet and looked really good. And this is just kind of an aside on Christian Pulisic. I don't think that any of our non-strikers, so basically Lukaku, Havertz, Werner, if you really even want to call Werner and Lukaku, or Werner and, and, and Havertz strikers, I think besides those three guys, that Pulisic is by far the most direct player we have. He is the largest goal threat that we have. Um, out of those, you know, kind of forward wing positions. And I just think that when healthy, it's the big if, as we all know, as, you know, just not only Chelsea, but also as USMNT fans, um, when healthy, he's probably, in my opinion, should be one of those guys that's starting up front alongside Mount and Lukaku in a perfect world. Uh, and yet I probably do have some bias for listeners out there as I am American. And that's fine. I can I can admit that's one of the things that I may be biased on. But I, I just don't see Callum Hudson-Odoi. I think he's going to get in over anybody in this squad at this point. It's probably going to be Hakeem Ziyech. And again, we probably did just see the best performance from Hakeem Ziyech in terms of not, not overall, I'm just going to say, performance given the minutes that he played. It was probably the best I think he's played all season. One of the best maybe under uh, – one of the better ones under Tuchel too. So – I just think it's tough for, for Odoi right now, but I think what does make it a little bit easier for him is that if he is able to actually adapt into the right wing back role, and I use that term very loosely because of how they're being played right now, then I think he can easily get in on that right side or that left side. 
uh, and be one of those more attacking players and really not have a whole lot of defense to do, but still be called a wingback. I think it's tough for him right now. I don't really know what we do given the state of the squad. He's really in the grand scheme of it, only like two or three years younger than a lot of these guys that are ahead of him right now. It's tough. I, and I think that, you know, I'm one of these people that's for a long time said you should have taken that 80 million pounds from Bayern Munich two years ago and just ran away with that. Um, whenever that was reportedly what they were offering for the transfer of Cal Mutzmann-Doy. So, uh, and the reason why I say that is because I think for, if Hudson Odoi this season can't start getting more consistent minutes and it might be best for club and players, you know, to mutually part ways so that he can start having that every weekend, week out experience of being a starter. Whereas uh, the longer he's at Chelsea and the longer he doesn't break through, I think the odds are less likely. And I, kind of the analogy I would use for that is when you're playing a team putting 11 people behind the ball and you hit the 80th minute, you know, you're probably much less likely to score than you are to score. Um, you're, or you're much less likely to not score, or you're much more likely to not score than you are to score at that point, right? You've kind of, a lot of the, a lot of the game's been played. And I think that's kind of where we're at with Hudson Odoi is that it's starting to wind down for him. And, and it's just, it's not that he's not good. I don't dislike the player at all. I, I actually do like what he offers. I just think the issue is consistency and his ability to show a performance over a full 90 minutes, as opposed to just glimpses here and there. And it's just, it's just circumstances, the people in front of him, his age, a lot of things that in this current setup are not helping him, but in most other setups at other clubs would probably be massively beneficial for him that, you know, if you're a smaller club, you're going to invest this time in those minutes on that player that's 20 years old that might, you know, eventually be sold for 10 times what you purchased him over a 30 year old player that you're probably, you know, you know what you have, or you know what you're going to get when you do move off from him. So that's where I think it really is. It boils down to it's just a lot of talent, Hudson Odoi, but wrong place, wrong time right now for, at, at Chelsea Football Club for him. And I don't know if I see a viable path for him getting consistent starting starting minutes going forward. You know, I think it's really interesting where you guys stand on this whole thing. Um, I am of the mindset that I think Callum Hudson Odoi should be Chelsea's starting left winger. Um, I, you know, I wrote an article on that, but I did also do that when Pulisic was injured. So I think Mason Mount's a lock on the right. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. I think he's one of the first names on the team sheet. So you really get a lot of competition on this left wing. And I think Callum Hudson-Odoi, and like you just said, Travis, Christian Pulisic is the closest one in terms of skill set to him. And I think you know Christian Pulisic is the only person on form that I think could realistically bump Hudson-Odoi out of that starting left winger spot right now. I think he's really grabbed the bull by the horns when everyone else has been injured. And I think he's played really well and really consistent over these last few weeks. And I think especially against Juventus, he offers something that no one else really does. You know, one thing we've seen with Pulisic is we've seen him adapt his game a little bit over the last few months, per se. Um, Yeah, I'll go with months since he's been injured is he, I don't know if you guys have noticed this as well, is he doesn't play as well when being pressed anymore. You know, he's kind of, I don't know if that's the awareness that he's probably going to be hacked in Eden, had, Eden Hazard fashion, or but his, his ball control in close areas has not been as great as it used to be. And I think that's what Callum Hudson-Odoi brings to the table. 
And one thing I really like with Hudson Odoi's game is his movement. The one thing we lacked against Juventus in the first match was consistent movement in the final third. You know, Juventus is going to sit back. Allegri does not make his tactics any surprises. You know, we, we know what they're going to do. So I think, yeah, Hudson Odoi will help stretch the field. I don't know if he'll play. Um, I mentioned earlier, I, I don't think he will. I think we'll go with someone like Werner or maybe even Pulisic in that spot. But if Hudson Odoi plays, I'll, I'll actually be really happy to see his name in the starting 11 because I think he does bring those things. And I think he's got a good relationship with the wingbacks, you know, and that's one other key point I want to hit on before we, we wrap this up is the wingbacks that we played against Juventus in the first game were never going to break down this Juventus defense. You know, Juventus sat back really compact. You're not going to get creative play and play that stretches the pitch from Azpilicueta. You know, Marcus Alonso, um, he he does do that, but not with Hakim Ziyech in front of him. That's just, you're not going to get that from those two. So I think if you have someone, you know, we've seen Hudson Adoy and Chilwell develop a really good relationship over the last few weeks. I think the wingbacks will be as important, if not more important than whoever starts on the left wing. So um, I think the reintroduction of Reese James and Ben Chilwell into the team against Juventus will really help stretch the field. And I think um, not, I know we're not doing like official predictions for Juventus. I, I think we'll end up winning the game because we get those guys onto the pitch to help really um, find pockets of space in that defense and find the perfect opportunity to strike. All right. That's going to be all for us on this one. Thank you guys for joining us. You can find me, Travis Tyler at Trafficle on Twitter, Travis Flock, where can we find you? You can find me at crossroads underscore CFC. And Gabe, where can we find you? Find me at Gabe H Sports. You can always follow us at Pride O London as well. All right. Fantastic. Thank you all again. And let's get to work.